Welcome back to the Miscast, where we examine the latest news, spicy brews, and strategy in CDH. I am your host, Drake Sasser, and with me today is Mikey Hollihan. What's going on, buddy? Not much, just vibing. Um, things are really chugging along with evidence. Everything's going well. We're down to, I think, 45 tickets uh, remaining, so we already have over 80 people signed up for the event, which is very exciting. We just locked in our vendors, have our side events lined up. So everything's going well. Nothing to really complain about. Um, just definitely just busy on the grind, but I'm very excited for the event and hope everyone who comes out will enjoy it and that we are able to sell out. Yeah, it looks like a dope event. I'm excited to attend. I've been doing a lot of work myself. But before we get too far, with us today is a very special guest. Guest, someone I have been very happy to be playing some games and stuff with recently. I don't think we've talked as much previously um but yeah often credit is the originator of cadh bryant cook what's going on man i don't deserve that title uh thank you for having me but people i i've been tagged on twitter where people credit me with that it's so uncomfortable because it's just not true <laughs> it's not true huh all right well i i'm sure we'll have plenty of opportunities to talk about it i uh I'm excited to get your thoughts because it's actually not a topic i know a lot about as far as i know mikey's kind of the resident expert on it uh, yeah, I definitely, I've been playing the game a lot, and it's something that, like, me and my secretary, Hal, love talking about, is how the game's changed over time, and we love how we both had, like, this aha moment where we're like, oh, wow, like, we could be doing something way more powerful than what we're doing, and I definitely have a lot of respect for Brian for kind of having that aha moment on his own and just kind of coming to the format with um, the deck that he made and just kind of really changing the game. While he might not want to credit himself, uh, there's a reason that everyone else in the community does. For sure. For sure. That's my understanding as well. But like I said, we'll hear it, we'll hear it from him. Before we dive right into the meat of the topic, are you working on anything today, Mikey? What are you doing in CDH, in the CDH space? I know you're busy with Eminence. Are you playing any new decks, trying any new cards? Uh, I've been working with Scoots on a deck I called Sans Razakats, where it's using Abdel, that new um, Mono White Commander that has background. But I'm just putting in the 99 and the Thrasios Timnashell and using it kind of as a World Gorger deck. That isn't as all in because you're not exiling all your permanents at once. So like if you get stopped, it's not like you're you're just dead in the water. And the card's really cool too because with its flicker effect, you're also able to play through uh, like null rod or oof effects where you just keep alternating which one you're flickering. So it's just like this really cool deck that's able to play some really powerful hate bears, still go infinite, and then you have Thrasios as your infinite man out on the command zone. Not really a deck that I'm used to playing or I love playing, but I had an idea, threw it off to Scoots, who's like the resident Rasikats expert that I always talk to. He just loves the deck. He's been playing it for years and. He's been having fun. He's been he's tweaked my list a little bit, but he he's with me that Abdel's a powerful card, so it's kind of cool just watching him develop this based off of a list that I gave him, and we'll see what happens. I don't think it's something that I'll ever play personally, just because I need my Grixis core. That's just what I am. Um, but long story short, I think Abdel's a really powerful effect that more people should be playing. I think it's kind of slept on at the moment, but I think it has a lot of potential. Yeah. I uh, I like World Gorger Dragon effects a lot. I'm obviously very preferential to the original, but the deck looks really sweet. I've seen a little bit about what you're working on with that. Super excited about it. And Bryant, I know you're taking a look at CDH again. Um, I don't know how long it's been since you last looked at the format or whatever, or how long you've been looking at it, but, you know, go ahead and tell the audience. What are you working on? I've been playing a lot of Rograk Silas. Not Roger. That, that's not what I call him. <laughs> Rograk okay. or Rog. But uh, I love that deck. Recently, I've been playing Doomsday in it, a card that was popular years ago, but I've been playing it again. Because I unlocked the secret that you don't need to play support cards anymore. Uh, Brainstorm, Probe, and Jessica's Will are all you need. Ooh, that's smart. I actually agree with you. I think Doomsday is 
a little underplayed. That's a card that I kind of want to always keep putting back. My first deck was uh, Brea Doomsday, and it was like a World Gorger Dragon deck. So like all these cards are like things that I have actually some amount of familiarity with from when I very first started in the format. And Doomsday always felt extremely powerful. But you're right, we had to do things like Frantic Search, and sometimes Gush was in the mix and all that kind of stuff for support. Uh, I didn't really think about the implications of Jessica's will as a like kind of deep analysis effect after a Doomsday. That's really smart. Yeah, with Jessica's will, you get Lion's Eye Diamond, Oracle, Fast's Oracle, that is, and then either Fluster Storm or Pact Negation, depending on what's left, you know, what's been used. And then you play the Lion's Eye Diamond, you add three blue because those cards aren't in your hand, you play the Oracle with backup, and then your opponents cry. <laughs> that they do. Yeah, that's clever. And so you've been working on this uh, Rograk, Silas. There's no Roger. We don't like that name around here. Uh, for a little while now, uh, do you like it as like the premium ad nauseum shell? Because I assume that's what it is. You know, you're a storm player. I assume you tend to lean towards turbo ad nauseum kind of strategies. Um, why did you pick these, uh, this particular shell over other turbo ad nauseum decks? When I first started researching CDH for content purposes, because I've had a deck for a while, we'll get to that in a little bit, but... I decided that if I was going to record CEDH for content purposes for my YouTube channel, The Epic Storm, I needed something that was actually a combo deck because the deck that I had left wasn't a combo deck. So I did some research. I talked to my Discord and people recommended Blue Farm. They talked about Cody, Rograk Silas. There's a couple other decks thrown in there as well. But when I looked at Rograk Silas, it had the things that I wanted. I loved the idea of being able to play Rograk early to enable cards like Home the Week, Infernal Plunge, Mox Amber immediately. It definitely fits my play style because if you look at the Storm combo decks that I play in Legacy and other formats, I tend to prefer being more aggressive than more laid back. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's the case. And yeah. players that know you and know your pedigree, uh, I think also uh, understand that as well. So I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I do like Rograk as, you know, obviously enabling all these busted mana cards. And you're definitely all about your busted fast mana. And I think that's has a lot to do with your your mindset and the innovations that you provided to the, the CDH format. So excited to dive into that a little bit more. Um. Yeah, I've been working on a blue farm deck as well. That's still a deck that I think needs a lot more iteration. You wouldn't think, I, I don't know, I had a discussion on Twitter recently uh, where I stated that I didn't think CDH was even close to solved uh, by what my understanding of the definition is. And a lot of people came in and kind of disagreed with me. They're like, well, Thoracle's the best thing to be doing and partners are the best commanders to have. And I do think they're right about those two truths, but... Uh, in general, I think they're very wrong on, you know, the rest of the hundred cards, right? Like you might be able to get six or seven of the cards locked in, but like, I think there's a lot more questions that need to be answered and a lot more that can be discovered. And I think the trend of CDH deck building has kind of shown that over time. So I'm working on Blue Farm still. I'm probably going to be working on it for quite a while, trying to hammer out a list. I feel is to me and making it faster. And I'm so proud. He's winning the game. <laughs> yeah, Mikey's been a, a big part of kind of helping me get away from a lot of the the fair elements that I think people go way too hard on in blue farm style setups and kind of get back to the original fundamentals of the deck, which is basically just a turbo ad nauseum deck that has a way better recovery if you get stopped via the the Cromptim and the partners. So uh I've liked the that results a lot. I think that CDH actually suffers from a very similar problem that Legacy has where there's really two distinct playgroups. 
there are hyper competitive people that just want to win at all costs. Then there's people that want to do the fun thing where it might be a certain power level, but perhaps it's not as competitive as they think it is. So to compare this directly to legacy, and I'm not trying to poke fun at anyone individually here, but Nick fit is a legacy deck that you are allowed to play. You can register Nick fit in a legacy challenge. You'll probably get some wins. But are you going to have the same win rate that you would with a deck like Is It Delver? Blue Almost Farm being the Is It Delver deck here, Nick Fit being, I don't know, Mono Green Elves. I don't know. Okay. I mean, I think you're right. But a lot of people are willing to throw the playstyle argument at you, right? And they could ask you the same thing, right? Like, you know, whatever. Tess is obviously a deck you can register and i think it has a higher win rate than nick fit for sure but why not just play delver it doesn't fit your play style and whatever maybe some people just need to play their veteran explorers right yeah yeah like why do i play armix crom over blue farm i just like killing things with armix <laughs> it's tough it's tough to find it's better like i i'm always going to be the armix player that's just going to be who i am <laughs> it's true and I think there's plenty of other arguments for like, oh, well, you can make your test deck. And I know you've worked on that a lot. This is definitely not a test podcast, but I know you've worked on making that matchup really favorable and have done uh, a very good job doing so in that aspect. So if the metagame's filled with Delver and it's that inbred, then all of a sudden, you know, your deck looks incredible in the meta, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot more to magic as it happens than always play the best deck. And uh, that's part of what makes it awesome. But to bring it back to CEDH, I kind of want to contextualize some timelines and stuff because I, to prepare for this podcast, looked a little bit into uh, the history of CEDH. I know Mikey knows a lot about it and, you know, Bryant was part of it. Um, I was not. <laughs> I came into the game really late. I started on like Brea and Yidris like shortly after they came out. Um, I, I think my first real exposure to them partners were already in the format and you know, I think a lot of people have that experience that I have, but there's a lot more going on and CDH existed for a long time prior to the release of Partners. So uh, I found a thread on Reddit where uh, Spleenface, uh, one of the hosts of the Into the North podcast and you know, a longtime CDH player has plenty of uh, prominence and results to, to speak of and has been here a long time, uh, put together what they knew and they understood. And the first bullet point on their timeline stated the first deck I've seen that was recognizable as a competitive EDH deck was Bryant's Pile of Broken. It was a Demir Storm deck made in late 2008. It won with Tendrils and had Tidespout Tyrant, Top Future Combos, Ad Nauseum, and High Tide. And then the next bullet point says something about Sharoom in 2009, which is also uh, a bullet point I've seen pretty universally when people talk about the beginning of CDH. It's always like the Sharoom deck, Bryant's Pile of Broken, and then like some Zerdex stuff. And that's kind of what I, what I know. That's like super base level. That's what I know. Um, and I kind of want to kick it off there. So late 2008, is that, is that timeline correct? Is that when you were putting this all together? Somewhat around there. So I think if you want to look at the, at least my backstory into CDH, if you're willing to credit me with that, you really have to look at early legacy in my opinion. So there is a website, M uh, MTG, the source. And there was really three pillars of that site. There was a really strong playgroup in Syracuse because this website was partially founded in Syracuse. There was a third in Portland and then another in Virginia. So the Syracuse guys, we all play tested together. I was definitely the youngest. I was on a team at the time, uh, the Epic Syndicate. Uh, terrible name. I didn't pick it. I was like 16 years old. 
And I had a bunch of friends that were older than me that were out of college. And I was like the little kid that they let hang around. So I played with them. A lot of bigger names at the time, Adam Barnello, Mike Herbig, Zach Hertel, they were all like strong legacy stalwarts. So it's a really small community and legacy at the time was viewed as a casual format. You couldn't qualify for the pro tour doing it. We had the one GP, which was GP Philly in 2004. Maybe GP Flash had happened at this time, but there is a subsection of that forum where there was a other formats. So if you're really old like I am, you might remember a format called Skittles, which was an uncommons format in commons where all of your cards had to be split evenly. So if you had a 60 card deck, you had to split all five colors exactly evenly. Charms counted as one third. Artifacts also played into that, but everything had to be exactly even. So that was one format. Type 4 was another. There's various casual formats in there. In my play group, we tried to break every single format we could. It wasn't just, hey, let's play this for fun. We were the competitive casual players. So I don't remember the name of the user, but somebody came into the source and they're like, hey, I just created this format. You pick a legendary creature and then you build a deck with those mana colors. So we were like, okay, next problem to solve. Let's solve this Elder Dragon Highlander. That's what we did. And, you know, I'm going to mention this now, but there was this person on Twitter that tagged me about a year ago, just going like, Brent Cook's the original pub stomper. And I was like, who the F is this? Like, I don't even <laughs> know what that means. Get out of my face. Uh, but my playgroup was anything but. We were all hyper competitive. And just for this person to just like randomly throw shade at me, get out of here. No, that's a good point. I yeah, like you know how magic Twitter works. This is a it's a commonplace thing these days for everything. Yeah, it's it's wild. I like the the recent just to key off that real quick before I dive into uh, all that really awesome information you just provided. I, I like the recent push from a lot of the CDH community and the content creators uh, to kind of interact with each other and dispel a lot of the stigma around CDH as like just pub stompers because you know it's just flat not true right like it is as you know uncomfortable for us cdh players to play against people that don't have a competitive deck as it is for you know the, the casuals to play in a pod with somebody that does have a competitive deck it's just kind of awkward and nobody nobody likes sitting there and just like it feels like you're not even playing the format right um yeah it's like people are like oh they just think it's fun because they win turn two it's like well the reason we think winning turn uh winning turn two is fun because those games still go on for 30 minutes because there's a lot of interaction we're storming off doing manual breach stuff you know etc cetera, etc cetera. it's not like enjoy just sitting there it's like oh cool the game's over cool no one did anything i win i'm better than you let's, let's yeah go it's just just not true and so to call you the original pub stopper is is actually kind of funny to me because like like you said CDH isn't just pub stomping. You want to play CDH. You want to play the format. You want everyone to show up with CDH decks and do that. You don't want to show up to like, you know, whatever, the kiddie pool with, you know, scuba diving gear. It's just not comfortable at all for anybody involved. So I like that a lot. I had never heard of some of these formats you're talking about. Skittles. I mean, I've heard of a lot of formats. I never had any idea. Is that format breakable? Did you break that format open? Well, it was really tough to break at the time with the format of just commons and uncommons. I think now you could probably do a better job, but at the time what we realized was things like Ribbons of Night and Flame Tonkabu, any card that created a two-for-one was just the best thing you could be doing. So uh, Moldrifter, for example, was just like a premium card. Makes sense. Never <laughs> change, yeah. yeah. 
So to bring it back to CDH, my original playgroup, Adam Barnello, who used to write for Channel Fireball, was a part of that. He played a zombie. I'm sure you could probably find his thread out there or whatever. Zach Tartel was the original Enchantress player for Legacy. He had a ton of top eights. He decided that if we were going to do broken stuff, he was going to play Gattic as his commander or general at the time. So Drake just made a disgusting face. Yeah, I agree. Gattatiga is horrendous. But everybody was playing something hyper-competitive or spiteful. It wasn't just like, oh, I was out here playing my Darksteel Ingot in Kadama's Reach and you killed me. There was none of that going on. It was all people trying to do the best thing possible. For sure. And ad nauseum, is that is that a card that you yourself keyed up because like obviously that's a huge format staple today and you know it's hard to imagine black decks without the card and, or without like a really good reason not to play the card were you the only one in your play group doing that were you like one of the first people to be like hey you have 40 life you probably should be putting ad nauseum on the stack i was actually talked into potentially cutting it at the time so they were like you're playing tyrant there's time spiral in your deck your curves too high how many cards are you going to draw off this and well you weren't wrong about everything. Like, Tidespout Tyrant probably shouldn't be in my deck. But at the time, it was just so easy to create Infinite Storm with. People didn't really play removal. I don't know. It made sense, at least to me. Also, know. keep in mind, I was like 16. Uh, I was not the deck builder that I am today. So, a little right. less less refined. Well, while the stuff makes sense, and you look at some other lists that people are putting out, I feel like yours is still... Better, at least in design-wise. I see some decks that are running Adnaz that are on Pita, Citadel, Mizzix Mastery, Notion Thief, and like a million other cards that cost like a million man. I'm just like, yeah, like what, what are we doing here? Like, I'm so confused. <laughs> I'll say yeah. this. Back then, decks were certainly less focused. Like now, when you look at a lot of CDH decks, decks tend to have a goal in mind. Where back then it was like, well, if I draw my Ad Nauseam, I draw my Ad Nauseam. Like, you weren't just going like, I'm going to play Diabolic Intent, Tutor, Consult. We're all just going to find Ad Nauseam. The X were a lot more general, I'll say. That's very much true. I think that kind of speaks to the amount of consistency we've been able to bake into CDH decks today. Like, you know, I'm sure at the time, the big thing, the big draw of Commander is every game's so different because the, the card pool is so wide and you're required to play so many different cards that, like, how could your deck possibly be consistent? I mean, I remember being a casual and being like, Storm's one of my favorite archetypes. Like, I love Storm stuff. Always have, always will. Pyromancer Ascension's one of my favorite cards. Unplayable in EDH in any way. And I was like, you know it would be cool is if I could make a Storm EDH deck. Like, this is the kind of casual I was. Where I was like, I wish I could like build a Storm deck. But there's no way. Because you just don't have enough tutors that are playable. And I had all these conceptions about how it just wasn't possible to do it. It wasn't possible to put it together. And I think that was the beginning of the driver to CDH for me. Once I started playing Magic competitively. For sure. And if you go back to the early era when I was, you know, Brian's pile of broken, there was other decks at the time that were similar power levels. There's a general that people talk about a lot at the time as being broken, but the original Zerdex weren't as powerful, I'll say, as the deck that I was playing. So the original Zerdex, they were focused on getting Zer into play, attacking, going to go get Necropotence, and then they played 20 plus counter spells. And really, they just outvalued everyone the rest of the game. But being the Storm combo player, I was like, you're not going to catch me dead playing 20 counter spells. Get out of here. <laughs> like, I knew that, like, just putting Necro into play was really good. But I didn't want to be playing a ton of counter spells. And I thought that you had to do that to be playing Zer because people also played things like Solitary Confinement. It just wasn't enough of a combo deck for me personally. 
Yeah, that's interesting, especially because when I started playing the versions of Zer that were really popular, they still focus on Necropotence, obviously, because I, I don't know, name a better enchantment just to like cheat out. <laughs> um, but they were all on shimmer lines and just storming off in the end step, like when you had 50 cards in hand and then you just storm off, get your Aether Flex or get on all your rocks, do a consult Ladman line and things like that. So that's kind of interesting to me that the original Zer decks were more control focused when all the ones that I know of are just very proactive. They also ran Doomsday too. It's like Doomsday or Necropotence, like one of those two will kill them as fast as possible, and, like, Zer was one of the fastest decks when I started playing. There was also a really big divide early on uh, on whether or not you played Creature Accelerants or Artifact Accelerants, and Signets and Talismans were very popular at the time, but the Creature decks, like, Hermit Druid was one of the best things you could be doing, because unlike a lot of the other decks, you would win once you activated, and you had something that beat multiple opponents, where the Brian's Pile of Broken deck won with Tendrils of Agony. So I had to create a very high storm count in order to win the game. There was no Aetherflux Reservoir, no Labman. It was Tendrils versus, you know, how many opponents, how high could I get on storm? And there's certainly times where I wasn't able to finish off one of my opponents. What was the commander of choice back when, um, for these Hermit Druid decks that you're talking about, or at least like within your playgroup that you saw? I'm just curious what commanders they were utilizing. Uh, so I also had a Hermit Druid deck. I played Crush. There was a bug one that I remember. I'm trying, I'm trying to remember the commander. I think it was that, but later on it became Mimeoplasm. But I think I was in college by the time that it had come out. Um, that was later on in time. But I remember the draw to playing bug was that you got an Archimiba. Because if you didn't play blue, you would have to run things like Blood Ghast and Dryad Arbor. Um, which I guess you got in the other list as well, but you got three creatures for the Dread Return, which was really big out of blue. Yeah, it makes sense. Hermitry was something that was like a menace when I first started playing. Uh, like Sidisi Brutire, like that was a deck that I remember. You see that, it's like, oh no, they're going to try to win turn two, turn three with Hermitry, and we just didn't have as many tools to stop them. And Hermitry, I think still today, is kind of an underplayed strategy. I think there's a lot of ways to interact with it, like with balance and removal and such, but... I think it's just wild how many people like really underestimate that deck and then you get to a table and someone's like turn one hermit and everyone just looks at each other like oh no we're just dead <laughs> yeah i can't scream from the rooftops that people need to play more removal enough and honestly i actually just i'm guilty i just shave some removal from my deck to make it faster and i kind of get the tension that creatures put on the format now because negates are so much more flexible and answer so much of the percentage of things you care about that a lot of times i mean hermit druid just can come in even today and just surprise everybody because you don't have removal spells and the gates don't counter it, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, when I was started playing, it, the joke with Hermitrude was that you could play any five-color commander. And basically, if someone showed up with any five-color commander and you're, you, like, disrespected their deck or something, it's like, oh, that has to be unplayable, like Witch King or whatever. It's like, that can't be a CDH deck, and then they just Hermitrude you. So I don't know if that's ever truly the case, but that's how, like, when I started in my quote-unquote meta that's what the Hermit Druid player did, and that's that was the whole joke, was that you could just play any five-color commander, it didn't matter. So, during the early days, the Syracuse guys would play a lot, but Jupiter Games was a legacy tournament location in Binghamton, New York. We would drive down to Binghamton to play in these legacy events, and we always brought our EDH decks, and we would battle the Binghamton guys. And a lot of those players also had fairly competitive decks, I remember there being a pretty powerful blue-black reanimator-style deck, but it was always about the trash talk, uh, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Like, 
which city was better, whose decks were better, that sort of thing. You would like bet cards on it. It was very fun and silly. But uh just want to reiterate that we weren't playing like hyper casually. Like we wanted to do, you know, the powerful thing. So uh I just figured that was worth mentioning that like even other cities were trying to do like it was, you know, competitive across towns. I really like that. I kind of wish there was like a little bit more rivalries in the CDH community, honestly. Like obviously like there's some people who like have some drama and beef, but I really wish it was like, you know, Philly versus like the Alabama boys or Philly <laughs> versus, you know, someone city on the West Coast. Like I, I kinda wish like that was a thing and there was like streams where it's like what's the better coast for Commander or whatever. I kind of I, I wish that was something that exists like now or just in general playing. Like that sounds like a lot of fun because then you have a lot more camaraderie when you're tuning lists and trying to like think, whoa, what are they gonna bring to the next event and stuff like that. Uh, that kind of leads into my next question for you, Brian. Um, oh, good. So your pile of broken is what a lot of people attribute to, like, creating CDH. How would you rate your deck compared to the other decks that you were seeing, whether it was in your own play group or, as you mentioned, the different cities? Like, would you say that your deck was best? Would you think it was, like, in top three? Do you think it lost some things? Like, I, just curious, because, like, I didn't even realize that you were playing a play group with Gatti. Like, your deck is the only one that I've really seen online, and... It's like something I haven't even thought about in a few years now. <clears throat> I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, my deck was definitely the best. I won a lot. I do remember that. But I also remember being very frustrated by the people running Commander or EDH at the time, because that's eventually what led me to quit playing Drawnew. Because first was Tolarian Academy. All of the original decks were all the powerful decks were all Academy decks like that is zombie deck that I mentioned. It wanted to get Academy into play. It wanted to untap it with Mind Over Matter, which also won with the zombie. It played Frantic Search. Time Spiral was a really powerful card because it untapped Academy. And then they banned it out from underneath us, which in my opinion, Academy was one of the best things about the format, at least at the time. And then they came for Gifts and Given, which was really unfortunate, if I remember that correctly, uh, because like a lot of us played Gifts and thought it was like a really sweet card. And then Tinker. And Tinker, from what I remember, and I could be wrong about this, was my final straw. I was just like, you've banned three cards out of my deck in the last year. How many more cards are they going to ban? Because like I was bragging a lot online about it. And um, I don't know. I felt a little resentful that they kept on banning cards out of my deck. Do you remember the Keep in mind, I was also... For banning don't. Like, Gifts Ungiven, for instance? Like, what were they doing at that time that was so busted with Gifts Ungiven? So, at least out of the blue-black deck, you were just getting four busted cards. You weren't doing any, like, all right, here's a deterministic pile that, you know, puts Yogwell back on top. You could do the, at the time, Vintage played Recoup. So, I wasn't playing a red, so I didn't have access to Recoup. So, it wasn't anything like that. It was just, hey, here's four busted cards, give me two. Interesting. Also, I, I mentioned being resentful. I was pretty young. Like, I was like 16 or 17. I doubt that I was even on their radar for when they banned gifts. They're like, who's Brian Cook? I mean, people now still don't know. But uh, I doubt I had anything to do with that. That's fair enough. Yeah. Do you... So you took a break at that time because they were banning all your stuff. And I mean, honestly, I, I don't blame you if they banned all my stuff like that when I was having so much fun and wiping the floor with everybody or, you know, whatever, at least had a good win rate, liked my deck. I'd be pretty frustrated too. Was that the last you put thought into CDH until, you know, obviously you're working on it now, whenever you quote unquote came back, whenever that actual point in time is? 
I wouldn't say that was it. So I ended up keeping one deck, which was Goto Bandit Warlord. And I kept that Goto deck. And every year since the history that I've been playing Commander, I've uploaded a uh, a deck showcase to theepicstorm.com or MTG the source where I show my physical deck. I scan it and upload it every year. So I've never technically quit, although the hiatus part is definitely true. So I went to college, you know, parties, girls, alcohol, whatever. I didn't play a whole lot of magic. And when I graduated college in 2011, I started playing a little bit more. I Some of those friends that I had mentioned in that original group had moved away, got girlfriends, got married, got real jobs. I didn't see them as often. So I, you know, started playing with some new people and... You know, 2011, 2013, that time period. A lot more of those people, you know, they got jobs in other cities that were my age. So they would move to New York or Seattle or wherever. I just didn't see them anymore. So slowly living in Syracuse, New York, I mean, destination spot, clearly, people would move (laughs) away. And before you knew it, it was really just me. I had a few friends that I would see once a year. So these two friends that I had every single year, we would meet up and play, you know, a couple games. So it was just the three of us. And I kept my Goto deck for that specific reason, making small updates every year. Um, and if you want to credit anyone to me coming back to CDH, you would definitely have to credit Alex McKinley. Uh, I'd like to make fun of him a lot in our storm calls because he'd be like, well, in CDH, uh, and then push his glasses up with one finger. <laughs> of you, Alex. I'm just teasing. But... I would tease him about it and he's like, come on, you would love it. You just got to try it out. And he would keep on saying stuff like that. And eventually, you know, he's like, it'd be really good for content. Think of all these new eyes you would get from commander. I was like, all right, Alex, fine, fine. I'll try playing like a storm combo deck in CEDH. And then I loved it. So Alex was right. I was wrong. I hope he enjoys this. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's funny that Alex is the one that got you into it because, uh, um, you know Eric now, and so does Drake. Uh, Eric and I were the ones who like really pushed him into CEDH. And a long time, he was just kind of sticking with his Arami list because he's like, oh, this was like the first deck I made. I'm like, you, you're a better player than this. Just play a good deck. And now he's on Blue Farm, and he's doing a lot better. So um, I really enjoyed this. Like, you know, Drake also has a legacy background, just like you and Alex. And I think it really does give a lot of useful insight into the format, as well as just very interesting, like seeing like different thought processes. I mean, that's something that people comment on this podcast a lot. Just like the way that Drake and I evaluate cards differently, and how we see like different play patterns differently. And it's definitely, I think, helped improve my play. Just like seeing like on how you all evaluate board states, this like on unnecessarily like higher level. It's just very different angles that we are viewing threats and things along those lines, just based on patterns that we're used to and like you patterns that you all are used to in Legacy and patterns that I just kind of know because I've been playing this format very religiously for the past like almost close to 10 years at this point to key off that i think i underestimated coming into the cdh community because i started obviously i was a 60 card player i've said that a million times uh grinding the scg tour it's actually how i met bryant uh we stayed in a hotel once i don't even know if you remember that bryant i was very much a nobody at the time um but you know i did plenty of the scg stuff you know doing the grind the tournament stay in hotels with a million people you know just try to jam as many events as you can do some winning my travel group you know we all kind of started at a casual background i think a lot of people do and at the college commander is extremely popular so we always kind of had commander decks on hand even though we preferred 60 card formats but what got me into cdh to begin with was my playgroup kind of sat down and we're like i don't know we keep playing commander and the 
power levels never line up. Somebody always leaves really frustrated because they their deck just didn't even function or anything. Like, what if we all just like tried to break it? Like, how miserable would it be if it was just you know all of us tried to break it? Because there was one person in our community, like in our community at large, that was always raving about how great CDH was, but they also played like Kalia Armageddon stuff, and I was like, that looks awful. No thanks. But my playgroup eventually sat down and was like, there's no way that's the best thing to be doing, first of all. Second of all, somebody else has to have figured that out. We're in the era of net decking. Someone has to have figured out just like what's busted. So let's look what's out there and see if it looks fun. And we found this like tapped out tier list. Decided all proxy decks. And like we only played in our playgroup, like us. And it's a lot like, you know, I hear you, right? Where you had this competitive playgroup that went and did stuff and was very, very isolated. It was like, you know, these four or five people and that was kind of how it was for me too. And I underestimated entering the CEDH community, the difference in perspective between 60 card players when it comes to playing games of magic versus CEDH players. Like they, CEDH players quite literally look at the game very differently than players that uh, have really only been exposed to 1v1 magic. And I did not anticipate that to be as wide of a gap as it was because it's all magic, right? Like it's a universal language. We all know how to speak it. I was really impressed at how wide that gap actually is. And I don't think there's anybody to blame for it, but I'm curious if that was your experience um, re-entering at least the community, uh, Brian. So m many people know me as the legacy storm guy, which is completely fair. I would not fault anyone for that. I have tons of years of playing at Grand Prix and SCGs, you know, playing my legacy deck. But I'm actually just like a fairly well-rounded magic player. I've played tons of different formats the entire time that I've played the game. So it wasn't as big of a leap for me as many people would have thought, even though it is 60 to, you know, 99 or 100, whatever you want, like to count it as. But uh, I think the biggest thing for me was I overestimated how good cantrips would be. And that was one of the first things that I realized turned out to not be true. I recently cut Ponder from my deck, for example. And to once again mention Alex McKinley, Alex said that I am one of this. These are his words, not mine. But he said he was shocked at how quickly I was able to solve a number of things about CDH compared to other 60 card players entering because he's like, you just figure it out all very quickly. And when I join a format and I recently it's been every year that I go like just nose deep into a format. Two years ago it was vintage. Last year it was popper. This year it's CDH. I'm very good at figuring out what's broken and you know, focusing on that. So a couple of years in vintage, I went on one of the best hot streaks of my life. Uh, I won three challenges in a calendar month, uh, a bunch of stuff like that. Popper, I won the first event after the banning of ATOG, a bunch of different stuff. So I'm really passionate about the formats that I get into. So I've been playing a ton with you guys recently, and I've been loving that. But I don't know. I'm just really good at figuring out what the best combo thing is to do. I might not be really good at figuring out the fair blue things, but uh, <laughs> give me a dark ritual or two. I'm coming for you. Yeah, I, I definitely have to agree with that. Like you, with like what Alex was saying and just like your ability to adapt quickly. Cause like you just, you, you just mentioned you just cut ponder and uh, you, you've been playing CDH more seriously for about like the past, like two, two months, two, three months, something like that. Yeah. Uh, in January I built a deck, but honestly it wasn't until two months ago that I even sleeved it up. I know that a lot of you are completely fine with 100% proxies, but I like my Japanese foil sign cards. So I wanted to wait until I had my physical deck together. Yeah, no, nothing wrong with that, but it took you roughly two months to decide to cut Ponder. I, it took me 
almost a year to convince Alex and Drake to cut Ponder from their list. Literally a year. So you were able to do that in much much faster period of time. And like Alex is like literally Alex and Drake, like when these like big shifts in their like play style, like deck building happens, like they DM me. And Drake will be like, Yo, you were right, I finally cut Ponder. Or was like, You were right, I finally went down to twenty seven lands or twenty eight lands, because for a long time Drake was on thirty. And Alex had like a, the, the same aha moments and I think it's kind of cool that you've been able to just do this on your own, just testing and playing with people. Because it's not like you're really active. Like, you're active in the Storm Discord, I know. But, like, you're not really active in, like, deck-building discords or, like, CDH-focused discords. And you're able to come up with these conclusions just from playing the, the format for two months. And you're already making better decks than people who have been playing this format for, like, two years. <laughs> so I will say this. And I'm going to upset a lot of CDH players right now. And you deserve it. <laughs> the truth is that playing on Magic Online is so much better. And I'm, I realize I've probably just upset some of you. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. So there's two reasons. One, games go by so much faster. I've played a few of these webcam games at this point, and by a few, I mean a couple dozen, and probably more than that, realistically. On Moto, there's no shuffling. There's no waiting for people to tutor. Like, a tutor takes a minute, if that. So everything happens so much faster. You can play 10 games in the period that the match that I played the other night a single one game took an hour or 40-something minutes. There's so many games you can play with that on Magic Online. People like to blame player quality. Well, if player quality is your thing, it's sort of on you because there's really good players on Magic Online. You just don't recognize their handles. And I feel like that's, you know, you might not know who Big Rabbit 27 is, but I'm sure that person behind the screen is also somebody with a working brain that's making logical decisions. That's fair. I think my only real counterpoint to that is, like, for instance, I play a lot of Blue Farm, and I have exactly zero interest in trying to click through everybody's turn. Like, you can't F6 through anybody's turn, right? Like, you always have interaction up, you're always triggering Rhystic Study, or Esper Sentinel, or Krom, and, you know, just slogging through these stacks and, like, clicking the one button 100,000 times just to get through, like, somebody's turn and represent interaction is a lot less appealing to me than playing something like, whatever, I played Essica on Moto with uh, with y'all once or twice, and that was a lot more painless for me because even though they're so Rhystic or whatever, like, I don't have the same density of interaction that I need to represent, and, uh, you know, I'm just kind of trying to do my all-in combo thing more or less. And I think it affects, yeah, I think it affects decks that people play on, on Moto. So I hear you, and I appreciate you, Drake. That said, there is a right-click auto-yield to abilities. So if you don't want to click on your opponent's mana crypt, you click on it once, you auto-yield to it, you don't have to think about it again. It will also hit multiple players' mana crypts. So if you make the effort of making it easy, it's certainly not that bad. And for the price point argument, there's tons of rental services. That said, I will have a caveat in a moment. So rental services out there, I love Card Hoarder. They sponsored the Epic Storm, but even before they sponsored the Epic Storm, I paid for their service. And I was just such a big fan that I reached out to them. I'm like, hey, I have a YouTube channel. I'm pushing 7,000 subs. Now I'm, I'm approaching 9,000. And I've uploaded a few EDH videos recently, so go watch those. But back to my original point, they're like, yeah, we'd love to sponsor you. So Card Hoarder is amazing. For seven tickets a week, you can run a legacy deck. And that legacy deck costs about 350 tickets. So if your CEDH deck costs a similar amount, seven tickets a week is roughly $5. So if you have $10, you could probably get a deck that costs 700 tickets, for example. It's fairly affordable. That said, seven, $10 a week, to get that, that ends up being roughly, you know, 
$30 to whatever a month. I hear you. If you play Magic Online for other formats, you can win tickets. If you're a CEDH exclusive person, that's where I think it gets a little more sticky because now you're paying five tickets a month, which ends up, or seven tickets a month for $5. But that said, you can play in your boxers at midnight and you will find opponents. Uh, there's always a game up and ready to go, which is one of the best things about Magic Online, in my opinion, is no matter where you're at, there's somebody willing to battle. Last night, I tried to play webcam magic, couldn't find anyone to do that. So there's gives and takes to both. They're both great experiences, but, you know, I like using both personally. That's fair. I actually do like Moto some amount. Like, I like the stack management. Like, I don't have to explain to people. I do a lot of explaining to people what's on the stack because people try to skip stuff or go past stuff or respond to things when they can't and all that stuff. I do like with a format as complex as CDH because I do think it is the highest complexity and one of the most difficult decision tree formats to parse that I've ever had to interact with. Um, I do think that a lot of times some things get thrown by the wayside and moto obviously just upkeeps all that for you so i do like that aspect of moto a lot i do like playing on moto some amount but uh i i do i don't know how interested i'd be in playing some number of my decks and obviously some combos are a pain to execute uh like i killed somebody with brain freeze the other day when they had like the last connive on their on the stack before it would kill them or whatever and like having to slog through they, them conniving every single card would like be obnoxious they're sticking points to both i think i agree with you that i like both uh either way cdh is an awesome format yeah. So, going back to our original discussion, um, so Brian, as you said, you were there like during all the early days and things, and you did a lot of like innovative uh, things. Then, is are there cards that you think people are just sleeping on now that like were really good maybe when you were first start pl- first started playing and we're just ignoring, um, or just cards you think are underplayed now that you just think deserve more attention? Like I know earlier we talked about Doomsday, for instance, and I'm with you. I think Doomsday is underplayed. I think Op Agent came out and people decided to be cowards. And we're like, oh no, I might get blown out. And it's like, is this any worse than stealing your demonic tutor and having a breach on their next turn or having a pact negation to protect their nods? Just curious if there's any like staples that you think might be ma- missing or just cards that people aren't taking as seriously as maybe like your your group would have. <laughs> I think the biggest thing for me is coming back in, people just don't play Hermit Druid decks because at the time, I think the Hermit Druid decks might have been better than the Drow New deck. I don't know for sure, but just how easy it was to play on top of how powerful it was always felt really good. That said, your deck was based around a single card where you had to be able to untap with it in most situations. So coming back, just nobody plays Hermit Druid, and that's the thing that really stuck out to me. I also thought that maybe Bloss's Citadel would be better. I think because my favorite top five all-time favorite cards for me, and this is something that's happened over the last three years, I love Tinker. The card that made me potentially leave CDH, I didn't love it like I do now. And I came back to playing Vintage shortly after. At first, people were like, I don't think Tinker's good. It's essentially just Time Twister because the best card you can get with it is uh, Memory Jar or the Sideboard Blightsteel Colossus. And a lot of people didn't play Tinker. I was, and people are allowed to disagree with me here, my eyes jumped out of my head when they spoiled Bolasa Citadel. I was just like, oh my god, this thing's busted. And I played it for a few weeks, looked at the challenge results. You couldn't find it in the challenge results that wasn't me. And I just started doing really, really well with Citadel Tinker. 
and I just fell in love. Like, it was all I wanted to do. I added Mystical Tutor into PO at the time, PO being Paradoxical Outcome. And people are like, Mystical Tutor is a garbage card. It's card disadvantage. And I was like, yeah, have you seen how many cards Blossom Citadel draws? <laughs> so uh, I was all about Tinker. And when I came into CDH, I was like, I really wish Tinker was legal. But Blossom Citadel has to be great. Like, top Doomsday. And then I was like, wait, people don't play Doomsday. No one plays top anymore. I can see why Citadel isn't that good. But I was like, it's still one of the best things you can be doing. Then it was explained to me that ad nauseum is the reason you don't play it. And I was like, I don't know. It, like people play peer. Why wouldn't you go up to scale five, six, seven, you know, triple black broken cards, whatever. But <laughs> I think there's too many lands. If you look at it from a realistic perspective, even if you played 25 lands, it's still roughly a quarter of your deck are things that stop. Citadel from being effective. And then if you count counter spells, which is always one of the big things about vintage, is people didn't play main deck Fluster Storm because it stopped Citadel. So you would only have four force of will. And then you would play things like Pyroblast because Pyroblast could counter or target a land, and then you could keep on flipping with Citadel. Or in CDH, you have Dispel, you have um, you know, my I guess you want to play Mind Breach Trap, that's a bad example. Miscast, exactly. <laughs> uh offer you can't refuse there's a ton of cards so when you add all that together i think like 50 percent of your decks are hit 50 of your deck is hits and that's just probably not good enough yeah i think you're right it's actually funny mikey was one of the biggest proponents that i saw of bolus's citadel and i was always impressed like you'd put it in play and it felt like he won basically every time it's like there's no way you're always hitting a top tutor or you're always hitting you know breach and then just going off from there or whatever but I was really impressed with the performance I saw out of Mikey's Armored Prom deck, uh, transmuting for it. That was something I tried to port into a Brea deck, and I don't know. I've never been able to get Bolas and Citadel to work. Mikey's the only person that I've ever seen put that card into play and just like feel like he always wins with it. Now, I, like a month ago, the past two weeks, I've been casting Bolas and Citadel, and Brian's been in all the games. I just fucking stop. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> all right. It's like... Like, there was one game I shuffled, like, three or four times, and I was just like, are you serious? I was like, pass. Then I got back to my turn. Passed again. And then I died to Brian. <laughs> and this happened, like, two different games, like, back-to-back. -back. I was just like, oh, my God, this is so upsetting. So it's like, I don't know yet if I'm going to fully just cut it from my list, because um, I do, like, the Synergy Transmute Artifact. Um, get your Armix, get a Citadel to play, or, like, I can also use Transmute then to get my Grinding Station with Breach. But recently, i got to say, like, it's just been rough. And... You know, I, shockingly, I, I am someone in the format who plays a lot of interaction. I know that's not what I'm, I'm known for by any means, but it's, it's as Bryant was saying, like, I just keep hitting interaction on top and then lands, even on my 26, 27 land mana base. It's just like, oh my gosh, like, what, something something's off. Kind so of I, I might be switching to PETA, but we'll see. I haven't fully decided yet. Um, but it is something that I'm very heavily considering to update my list with. <clears throat> Even back in the day, so to go back to the early days of CDH for a moment, we had our competitive play group. We hated the ban list. So I'm looking at the ban list right now. I am familiar with it. But at the time, if I remember, Braids was either pre-banned or it was like banned like in the following few weeks. So I mentioned that person posted to MTG the source being like, hey, check out this new format. That card was banned almost instantaneously. And we were like, that card is literal trash. <laughs> uh, like no one in the right mind would play that card. So there was a bunch of cards like that where they were banned for the casual play experience, but we weren't casuals. We were like, yeah, those cards aren't playable. Uh, they probably did get bargain right. That said, here's here's my podium. I'm going to use it. Bargain is worse than both peer 
and ad nauseum unbanned Yagmos bargain. It is the, like EDH would be the only playable format for that card. It's not playable on vintage. It's banned everywhere else. It's not even good in cube. Like in my in the vintage cube, I don't draft it. The card's not powerful enough. No, I draft it. <laughs> I've never. So, I've done a lot of vintage cube. I've never seen a single person have that, even have that card in their deck. <laughs> card deserves a home, and I think it's an appropriate power level for a commander at this point. I think that's a super interesting take. I mean, I'm somebody that I always try to make it work, and I have literally all my friends that tell me this card is not playable. I'm like, but it's so cool. You just be it's grizzle bread for one jeeper. It's so powerful. It's it's not. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's not. It's not good for some reason. So after the banning of Tolarian Academy to go back uh, to the early days, so I had four commander decks at the time. None of them were as good as Dralnu, but I had Goto. That was probably my number two deck. And then I had Maga, Traitor to the Immortals. And in the early days, a lot of people, and I mean a lot of people, were all about Urborg and Cabal Coffers decks. Like, oh, yeah. if you had yeah, a group of friends, everybody had a deck based Prime on Primetime got banned, or one of the reasons Primetime got banned. Yeah, well, I was monoblock at the time, but almost everyone at the deck had a Cabal Coffers deck. There was a bunch of cards that you could play with to make it go infinite, like Brings of Bright Earth was a popular card at the time. Probably not super competitive, but people loved Cabal Coffers decks, and those were sort of the replacement effects. It's not really a replacement, but the people that loved doing big things with Tolarian Academy went to those decks. Mm -hmm. And then I had a uh, Thraxum Under deck a little bit later. And that deck was really powerful, but it was mostly just like big, powerful blue things. It wasn't really a combo deck um, because it was not always fun playing the same commanders all the time against each other. But if we were playing for keeps, we knew which commander everybody was on. So there was a varying power level shift, much like today. If you were to play Magic Online, you'd see the rooms are all named like power level seven to eight which I don't think actually has meaning because everybody thinks that their deck is at least a seven. <laughs> yeah, very but, true. Uh, you could get an idea. Like none of us really had just like casual decks. We, we weren't interested in that, but we definitely had decks that varied in power level. So correct me if I'm wrong. You were a, you mentioned legacy and how it impacted a little bit of your deck building, but I kind of mentioned in diving into the nitty gritty on that one a little bit more. You, Lexi, as I understand it, was not called Legacy. It was one of the types back in the day, right? Did you say type 4? 1.5. 1.5, sure. Why not? We have fractional types. Okay, sure. I see why we moved away from that. Uh, we, it was called type 1.5. So you were a type 1.5 slash Legacy player before you even thought about putting uh, the pile of broken together, right? Correct. And... From what it sounds like, I mean, you're referencing a lot of deck building heuristics that were, you know, whatever, part of the community even then, right? Like the source, um, I think, what did you say? Reddit was the other one? Is that what it was? What no, MTG Salvation. Salvation. There we go. Yeah, I remember that site. Um, I think it's still up, but uh, who uses it? Um, or you went for spoilers. Oh, sure. <laughs> you don't remember that? Uh, man, there were like... Uh, salvation user rancor was like banned from magic for posting spoilers half the time they weren't even correct like i remember when slither muse was released it was the original evoke cost that was put on uh salvation was two and a blue i was like this thing's better than windfall i'm going to break magic and, like, <laughs> and, then, and then it turns out it was two blue blue like somebody had photoshopped out a mana symbol and it's just like not quite the same so salvation wasn't even reliable then and now wizards just gives everybody preview cards I hope that this poor Rancor person has been unbanned from magic. 
I, I would I would be surprised if that person was still even involved in magic, but you know, if they haven't been, this is this is the the podium here. Unban hashtag unban rancor. Yeah, so you were playing a ton of legacy and you kind of referenced that your legacy deck. I guess you were playing Storm at the time, right? Was it uh the Epic Storm? Did you directly take deck building and say, look you looked at your Epic Storm deck and said, I want to do this in CEDH? Or was there anybody at all trying to do Storm Tendrils of Agony thing? Did people just look at you like you had two heads? Why aren't you playing Academy decks when you decided to try to win with Tendrils of Agony? I think it was just my natural inclination to build the Storm deck. Nobody was like, hey, you need to do this. It was just like, hey, I'm the Storm guy. I'm going to build the Storm deck. That said, being the Legacy Storm guy, I played a lot of vintage Storm at the t- the, what led to be me being interested in figuring out Legacy Storm. So in 2004... Legacy split from Vintage is at the time Legacy shared a ban list with Vintage. So if a card was restricted in Vintage, it was banned in Legacy. So like Merchant Scroll, for example, was banned. Um, Okay. Exactly. Bizarre Baghdad, Mana Drain, Mishra's Workshop were all legal because they weren't restricted in Vintage. Very, very different format. So September uh, 2004, that changed. Legacy became a thing. And banned Lion's Eye Diamond, Lotus Petal, Chromox, and people's eyes bugged out. They're like, what? This is a turn one format now. And years went by, and everyone's like, yeah, those cards are just unplayable. And you'd see people posting in the brewing section of the source, like, hey, trying to figure out how to build this uh, Storm Combo deck, and nobody ever got close. Like, the decks were just not good enough. Like, Belcher existed, but Belcher at the time played Birds of Paradise. Like, it wasn't a super fast turn one it could but it was more of a turn two turn three deck and i was playing vintage because there used to be these events called the mana drain opens and then they had ones after called the mana leak opens for legacy but you know i digress so i was playing vintage they had pitch long at the time which was like unmask force of will draw seven combo and then they had uh grim long all the storm combo decks were called long after mike long the notorious cheater and uh, it was like a five color deck with like City of Brass, Gemstone Mines, and it played all five colors, the best cards. And I fell in love with that deck. And I was like, how can I bring that deck to Legacy? So I was like, okay, my green's going to be Xanad Swarm. Need uh, some way to win the game. So I looked at Diminishing Returns because that was another card that had a lot of potential. This is all pre ad nauseum. So things weren't a little more janky back then. And uh, I realized that Diminishing Returns was really the glue that everybody had been missing out on. So that was the thing that I sort of put together. And I was like, well, Burning Wish gets Diminishing Returns. And I just, you know, took a couple months really focused on what I could do in Legacy. I started testing it out locally before I posted it to the source. And once I posted it to the source, I was starting to get insight from people from Portland, like I mentioned, or the Virginians. And it started snowballing. And then shortly after I posted, Cold Snap was released and Rite of Flame came out. And I was just like, oh my god, I love this card. I get Red Dark Ritual now. And uh, <laughs> the rest is history. That's awesome. I love that a lot. So yeah, you, you just got a lot, in my opinion, right. Kind of in your first pass. It's really impressive. Because like, I mean, Ad Nauseam is a card that, I mean, for years, I, I love Ad Nauseam. I think the card's really cool. And that, when, as soon as I entered CDH, I was like, this is the thing I want to be doing. You have so much life. I was familiar with Ant and Legacy, and I was like, Ad Nauseam seems so cool as like a Storm enabler in CDH. So 
uh, basically every deck I've ever played is is an ad nauseum deck, even though I don't think I'm necessarily associated with being like a turbo Nas player or whatever. I think going all in on it, it's kind of medium, but I, I do love some stories. You're, you're just an, an Essica fan. That's what you are to me. <laughs> I love that card. That card is really cool. Come on, yeah, they printed well, a, a five-color mana dork out of the command zone? Are you joking? Jeskai Ascendancy is ready to go. Three full <laughs> mana. Oh, I love that for you. Three <laughs> mana for Just take care of it. Take care of it right then and there. Got I him. mentioned playing a little bit post-college. That was the time period in which Crystal Brand was released. Yeah. So everybody immediately lost their minds. Like they banned bargain, but Crystal Brand gets to live. <laughs> and people, everybody, like so survival was really big in legacy at the time. So people are playing survival hermit druid decks. They had the back door of Crystal Brand, and they were all very comp- powerful. But I still didn't think Crystal Brand was as powerful as Hermit Druid at the time. Like people played in Tomb Reanimate. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'll draw 35 cards or whatever. It was never as good as people thought it was because I think uh, people have the short-term memory issue where they remember their wins but never their losses. They could lose 500 times in a row, but they would totally remember that turn one that they had. So I think there's some cards on the ban list. I'm not advocating for unbanning Gristlebrand here. I think there's some where CDH and CDH had better data. I think the ban list would look pretty different said it's really hard to gather data in a casual format with four different players with different play skills but it's rough because i think some of the stuff on the ban list is a little bit questionable yeah you've been uh, an I, enemy of the ban list so i i'm interested in your thoughts on that you know what could come off and personally i definitely think a lot of stuff can come off now like there's stuff that's been on there for years and it's just not even thought of and the only cards that's been or one of the few cards that's been unbanned recently like i know they unbanned protein hall but even at this point that was like six years ago or something like that they unbanned world fire and it's like ah yes this was the card everyone was waiting to play with again that this is it the card um, was pre-banned like it was banned before the set was released wow i didn't even realize that i just like i saw that one come off and it's just like i don't know like we there's just so many things on there where i just really would like to play with this like i don't like i i don't necessarily i'm with you like i don't necessarily think crystal brand should be unbanned but it's like I don't think it would change things that much. Like, I think Reanimator gets a little bit better. You know, maybe instead of getting Razzacath, you're getting a Gristle Brand. And even that's kind of debatable because Razzacath gets you the one or two cards you need to win versus Gristle Brand paying 21 life to see if you can find it in the top 21. But there'll be a lot of things that are just kind of outdated that are on there. Like, like uh, Sylvan Primordial or whatever. It's like, this is still there? Busted. Busted. Yeah, right. Like prime time, I get. Like that one, I understand. Like I don't think it would impact CDH at all. But like casual, I get. But like we're doing a lot more powerful things in Sylvan Primordial, even in casual these days. I feel <laughs> for seven mana or however much it costs. I believe that the big difference there is well to your original point that how much magic has changed. The fire design method has completely reshaped the game, and whether people like it or not, cards printed in the last you know three or four years are dramatically better than a lot of the cards printed before then. And there's been a huge shift in power. And a lot of the cards that were banned in various formats, not just commander haven't been reevaluated in a long time. Should. So one of the common uh, rebuttals to this statement is a shorter ban list isn't a better format. And I would agree with that. I don't think because something isn't powerful anymore, shouldn't be unbanned i'm not trying to advocate for that i do think that cards periodically should be reconsidered okay this has happened why don't we you know think about 
having it like have a discussion about whether or not it should be fine now i was recently listening to something and they said that cards have a heyday and they're banned it's time for another cards uh to shine and that card had its time period let it stay there and i don't necessarily agree with that uh, because there's plenty of cards that get unbanned in formats so if you look at legacy Time Spiral was banned for a number of years, and then it was unbanned. And the card doesn't really see play. There's a few, like, Time Spiral, High Tide stalwarts, but, like, that, I don't know. Uh, who's it hurting? I definitely agree with that. Ban lists, I think, you know, like you said, I don't think size of ban list necessarily dictates format health. For me, it's the... Uh, the change log of a ban list is what I think indicates more of format health. Like if there's a ban list, like constantly like things need to be banned every month, there might be some huge power discrepancies or whatever. I think the longer you can keep a stable, interesting, replayable format without bans, I think that in indicates how close you are to having just like a really healthy, exciting format that people enjoy playing. Cause clearly there's no clamoring for bans, right? Uh, on the note of the ban list, so, Brian, you talked earlier about how, like, uh, Tinker, Talarian Academy, like, a lot of these cards, like, these were, like, your favorite cards to play with, and you got a little bit discouraged when they were banned. If there was one card you could bring off the ban list, what would it be? It could either be something that's completely broken, something you think is fair, but just kind of curious what's your one card. For me, personally, it'd be Fastbawn, because I love Gitrog. Gitrog is, like, my favorite deck ever. I'm not saying Fastbawn would be healthy for the format, but, like, I, I, live, I have dreams of playing Gitrog with Fastbawn. <laughs> Without a doubt, and this is a biased answer, it would not be Tolarian Academy. Even though I own two Japanese ones, and I've been trying to sell one of them for a year and I can't find a buyer, the real answer would be Tinker. It's just top five favorite cards for me, and I just love tinkering into Citadel. I've said that already on this cast, but whew, getting excited just thinking about it. <laughs> tinker. I'm a Gifts Ungiven fan. I really want to see that card. Come on, come on. Who cares? You can grab on Barrel Rights. Whatever. Intuition's legal. Come on. Let me play some Gifts Ungiven. I love that card so, so much. I miss it. I do think that one probably should come off the ban list, but uh, probably not going to happen. Well, yeah. we're kind of wrapping up through a lot of the original thoughts. I do kind of want your perspective. Now that you're, you know, back in CDH, you know, you're, you're in the trenches figuring out decks like the rest of us. Do you think, because like obviously you're credited a lot as one of the originators of this format. And I think your, you know, whatever your popularity, your... Um, presence in the spotlight has some amount of an impact on that also you know you're, you're a fairly vocal individual too in every uh forum that you're a part of and i think that helps create space for you and make you be noticed and stuff do you think that your pile of broken that you put together where you figured out a lot of this stuff you know you included ad nauseum and all these broken storm cards and stuff do you think cdh would have the texture it does today if that deck was never made i think it would don't think i was i really don't think i was that impactful i think that i was a young kid that wanted to do something broken then that snowballed into other people you know making the deck much better even after i quit playing it because that thread lived on for a long time after i quit playing growl now so i think if it wasn't me it would have been somebody else also uh to answer a question i was tagged about this on twitter not too long ago uh the original Brian's pile of broken thread disappeared. It's left the internet. It Why was removed from MTG the source by my request. Not that thread specifically, but it came to light that 
you Googled my name with, you know, other terms after it, there was a lot of gamer language that wasn't said by me, but Google indexed it because it was a thread of a bunch of gamers in 2008 using gamer language, mm-hmm. but because it had my name as the thread title and then people using, you know, horrible words in the thread that it came up with my name. And I was like, I'm not cool with this. Uh, I had a moderator from MTG, the source, just search for my name plus those, you know, words and delete anything on the site with that. So it's unfortunate. That's the way that gamers talked in 2008. Stinks. I'm glad that things have changed because it's certainly not acceptable. I'm not trying to say that it was okay for the time. It certainly wasn't, but uh, that's the answer. Oh, that's good. I I actually didn't know that either. I didn't know that the thread was gone. I do know that I've never seen the deck and I was going to, I was going to actually go with that next is, do you have a link to the original deck somewhere? Even if, you know, it's not that thread or the original thread, do you have the deck list somewhere that people could look at and, you know, put in a museum for posterity's sake? Cause I've I've never actually seen the full deck list. If you just Google Brian's pile of broken, people have recreated it on Moxfield and like tapped out in various other sites. Uh, I was talking to a coworker about it recently because I came up in their Google search. It was that deck. Um, there's also like some some other podcasts had a podcast episode about pile, Brian's Pile of Broken. So uh, there's certainly information out there about it. I just found the, the list for you, Dre. We can link it in the description if people are curious what old school CEDH looked like before we even had things like uh, before we had partners and that started to dominate the format and all that kind of stuff. I think one yeah. of the biggest things about early CDH is the commanders and generals were terrible. Like, there <laughs> was nothing awful. that worked I, with your deck. I remember this. It was literally just there for colors. Like, even, like, Carador Boonweaver. It's like, if you're casting your Carador, it's just like, yikes, maybe I'll bring back some hate bear that died. And it's like that. Like, even um, some Zer decks, it wasn't even about getting Zer out. It was just like, well, yeah, here's Esper, and we can run Doomsday and Nas. Like, that's good enough. I think that's hilarious. This Like, the commanders really did not matter at all. They were just there for your color pips. There was a time period where a bunch of the Legends commanders spiked in price just because they were three-color commanders, like a Dun Oaken Shield and a bunch of those. Remember uh, McKenzie, I think it's called, or something like that? Yeah, Angus McKenzie. Yeah, he, he went, like, crazy high um, because, like, he just offered you, like, a color pairing that didn't really exist, at, uh, like, in newer cards and things like that, and people just wanted to play with those colors. <laughs> Well, Tiny Leaf had a number on those two, right? Where it's like, okay, this is the only, like, Jund tricolor commander that... Because you could use a blank thing. You could use, like, a a Grey Ogre that just had the three colors if you wanted to play a color combination. But yeah, like, Angus McKenzie was, like, the one of the only Jund ones other than the little bug thing that was a Jund Tiny Leader, right? I remember Rafik was really popular early on. I don't know if people would consider it to be CDH for the time, but uh, everybody... Like, a lot of the fairer Magic players loved Rafik because it had a combo win, but it was really a fair deck. Yeah, no, I know. I remember playing against a lot of Rafik way back when, when I was, like, first getting... What, what CDH? Like, my first CDH list was Karanos Blue Moon, so... Obviously, a bit after when you started, but, like, it was still, like, really early days. Like, no one really knew what was going on. We're just kind of playing stuff and seeing <laughs> seeing what happens, and then eventually you got a lot more tuned a few years... Um, like, I'd say, like, a couple years after I started really getting into the format absolutely so we're uh kind of nearing the end here before we kind of move to wrapping the show up i have one more question for you do you now that you've spent a little bit more time 
uh, investigating the format, you mentioned you're figuring things out quick. You know, you figured out whatever cantrips aren't that good. It took me way longer. You're so much smarter than me. Uh, I hate That's to true. admit it, but <laughs> do you think there is too much kind of groupthink around certain cards? Do you think there's any cards that are overplayed, underplayed? Well, we've mentioned this a little bit with Doomsday, right? We mentioned this with Ponder and stuff. And you're currently working on, you know, your Rograx Silas deck and your Turbo Ad Nauseam strategy. Are there any big standouts where you think the group think is just completely off um, now that you've re-entered and you've re-evaluated and learned a lot? Definitely do. Groupthink is certainly a problem within formats that are smaller and or more exclusive. So it also applies to legacy because the really competitive people surround themselves with each other because they want to face the cream of the crop. They end up becoming friends. They're in group chats together. Then if you're always discussing the same cards or strategies with similar like-minded people, it becomes an echo chamber. So I've done this in multiple formats. I've separated myself a little bit so that way I can think on my own and come to my own conclusions. And I think CDH players in general dismiss fast lands. And by fast lands, I mean the, the Kaladesh lands, the original Scars of Mirrodin lands, as being unplayable. I think that they are very, very good in fast decks. Obviously, if you're playing for a longer game, so if you're trying to go to turn 7-8, you don't want to be playing a tap land after that. For a deck like Rog Silas, you're looking to win the game on turn 2, turn 3. So things like Dark Slick Shores, um, you know, they look a lot better that way. So I think people need to evaluate things in the context that they're being played more often. I, I have found in some of my conversations that people have an opinion on a card but they don't ever think about the card in different contexts. It's always like, Demonic Tutor is good because it's good in everything, but they might not think about Demonic Tutor in a deck that's very light black. I mean, this is probably a bad example because it's Demonic Tutor, right? But now think about this in a deck. Um, I, I think like Ranger example. Captain is a good example. Like Ranger Captain's a powerful card, but it's double white pip. So like, if you don't need that in your blue farmer for a colorless, I think that's kind of what you're getting at, right? Exactly. So they just don't think about it within the context that it's being played. So they just have this defined opinion of a card in every single deck where that's not true. So I think if there's anything you take away from this podcast, it's just more open-minded, question what cards are played and stuff like that. So th that came out not as good as or smart as I had hoped, but hopefully you know <laughs> what I mean. <laughs> No, I think it's elegant enough. And I, I've run into some of that too. Like Forbidden Orchard specifically is a land I've been wrestling with back and forth. I always put it in my like blue farm decks and stuff like that. I think it's even in my deck now. But it's like, oh, you know, you don't want to put this because, you know, you're a blue farm deck and you want to be connecting with your creatures and stuff. And it's like, well, my colors are really hard to cast. And a lot of times there's a single player that is going to put blockers in the way anyway. So you could just give them another creature. It's not that big of a deal. Um, and casting my spells is really, really important. So, but at the same time, there is times where it's like, okay, life total matters. You know, suddenly every player at the table has either Timna or Gaia's Cradle. So, you know, I'm really giving somebody a very usable resource. I don't know. I've struggled with that land a lot and whether or not it's actually good, it's always in the fence for me. And I think that's one that I see a lot of concrete opinions on, but I don't know how much thought and discussion is really on about that kind of stuff because it's not interesting. Talking about lands and building mana bases is a lot of deck builders least favorite part of building decks and i think as a result a lot of some of the most important things in your deck 
I, yeah, it is. I mean, the prices show it, right? Like, look at the price of lands in every format versus everything else, even non-reserveless stuff like fetch lands. You got to be able to cast your spells. I'm big cast your spells advocate across the board uh, on this podcast, everywhere else. And a lot of players just kind of want to slap a mana base together and hope it works. And I, I do think that there's a lot of group think around that. Circle back. I'm sorry, you're trying to end this podcast, but I won't let you. Just circle back <laughs> to underplaying cards that I think people don't play enough of is Necropotence. Yes. So when I first started playing Rog Silas, none of the lists that I saw on Moxfield or the deck database had Necro. And I just could not wrap my head around it. So if Bloss and Citadel isn't playable because your deck has so many lands and, and all these other things that cost too much, it's the excuse behind Necro. So I started talking to the Triple Adnos Discord and they're like, people play wheels, that card's unplayable. Then I'd be like, okay, can't you protect it? And they're like, no, we refuse to play Force of Negation or we refuse to play Days. We'll only sometimes play Force of Will, but that costs five off ad nauseum. I'm like, you guys don't know what you're doing, do you? Uh, not to <laughs> make, I'm not trying to call anyone out here, but uh, if you don't, you need a coherent strategy in your deck. That's one of the big things. Plus, I think a lot of players go, oh, I'm playing the Turbo deck. I will win every game on the second turn. And they have this idea in their head that they always win on turn two, but they don't look at the law of averages. Averages show that you're not going to win most games on turn two. You might win one out of every five games on turn two or something out of games that you even win. And if you play effects like Force and Negation and Daze, you get to then support a card like Necro that allows you to protect yourself until you're able to untap again. So you need a coherent strategy. Not every card lives on its own. Yeah, I think I have. I was always somebody that like liked cantrips coming from a 60 card format i was like people that don't play necro are just out of their mind this card is just nutso nutso busto please put this card in your deck and i've always been a please play necro kind of guy only very recently have i been like okay it's time to start analyzing the context of this card like if you're playing a really fair deck it does lose some of its potency if you don't put a little bit of help for it things like final necro potency yeah necropotency i like it i like it (laughs) And uh, yeah, Essica actually, it's a five color deck, doesn't play Necropotence because I actually can't cast it. You're a very non-black deck and I would have to put things like Dark Ritual in my deck in order to even make it work. Plus like your Jeskai Ascendancy deck, that doesn't work together at all. There's like a lot of reasons that it doesn't really work in Essica despite being a five color deck that is very like critical mass oriented and stuff like that. So I actually don't play it there, but I do play it in things like Blue Farm even still. Um, and I actually think it's more correct. Like, if there's a reason not... It's like Soul Ring. If there's a reason not to play Necro, it probably means you're going in the wrong direction deck building-wise with your deck in general. You should be in a situation where this card is in your deck and is effective, I think, if you're playing CDH and you're playing Black at a serious level. Circle back to your point about lands. So in January, I started working on my Rograx Silas list, so about six months ago, and I started looking at the deck. So one of the first things I looked at was the mana base because I wasn't convinced that it was the proper mana base. So there was things like Glimmer Void, Spire of Industry, Benin Orchard, Tarnish Citadel. I couldn't help but look at these lands and go, these cannot be correct. So if you're someone playing those lands, hey, once again, context matters. But Ad Nauseam is your focal point in this deck. You're playing Tarnish Citadel that lightning bolts you every time you tap it for mana. Fire of Industry, it's another City of Brass, but it's conditional. At the time, the list that I based mine off of only played 14 artifacts. So then if you look at a card like Glimmer Void, how often is that staying in play? And I started talking to 
the Tribonauts Discord. They're like, why are you keeping hands without Mana Crypt or Soul Ring? And it, I'll be honest, that line alone made me reevaluate if I even wanted to play this format. Because I think it's really tough talking to people that might not be as invested in being competitive as you are. Because realistically, you can't always keep hands with Mana Crypt or Soul Ring. Unless you're Mikey. Because in my experience, he always opens on both Mana Crypt and Soul <laughs> yeah, Ring. Yeah, no kidding. But he always has it. You're a normal human. <laughs> That is not always possible. And <laughs> just opening up on Glimmer Void plus Artifact every time wasn't realistic for what I was trying to do. Because I'm also someone, if it has land fish, I'm probably keeping. Same. Like, oh, well, you can't keep that anyway. Uh, so I think there's a big gap between what I expect out of games and what other people expect out of games. Because I'm only playing to win while doing things that I enjoy. So... I'm trying to make the most competitive turbo deck that I can. So if you're looking for that kind of content, definitely go check out the Epic Storm. There's two great videos on that. I'm talking about the YouTube channel here, not the website. But uh, I just want to be as competitive as possible. I gave a deck tech a couple weeks ago at this point. It's about an hour and a half long. And I had to take two breaks in the middle of it because I was monologuing. I was like, I need a drink. I'm about to lose my voice. Much like this conversation we're having right here. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine we could we could wrap it up but i definitely agree that not all hands necessarily need fast mana i've had people ask me before would you ever keep a hand that doesn't include you know any kind of fast mana at all and what does that look like and i was like if i see somebody do that i assume they either have some kind of turn to win they have dockside extortionist or they probably just put a fish or an esper sentinel or whatever in play and sentinels there's the one so on, many one. huh there's just too many what ifs there's too many yeah. combinations too many powerful cards like or one esper not bad I'm not saying it's the best play, but it's definitely not terrible by any means. <laughs> I have a question for the two of you. Okay. What do you think the most overrated card in CDH is? Not close. Predator's Grasp. That card is unplayable. Yeah, I hate that card. <laughs> this is something you and I talked about a little bit in like the Storm Discord, or like I've definitely talked about in the Storm Discord. It's just like, I don't understand why are people playing this card, and I always ask, would you run Grim Tutor? And they're like, you're crazy. That card's terrible. I'm like, then why are we paying three mana sorcery speed for this? And it's just like, oh, we can stop other people's wins. It's like, what deck hinges on one single card? Like, you're still playing They're a deck so that addicted to on that one idea. Card. Yeah, I, I hate it. I'm just like, this card isn't reactive. Like, if I'm paying three mana sorcery speed and all that it's doing is stopping someone from accessing their Thoracle line, no way. Like, I need to be doing something proactive for myself. Like, I'm getting a Dockside, I'm getting an Adnaz, I'm getting something that's just going to win me the game. Like, I, I don't know, I hate the card. I hated it so long. I didn't even <sighs> like it. In, I hated it in Gitrog. I cut it from Gitrog for Ebony Charm. Everyone called me a fool back then, and people are still playing this card. I hate it. So <laughs> it I think the one weird. defense to it is that it gets opponents' oracles when you've exiled your own via Demonic Consultation or Tainted Pact, something like that, because... And I see it having value. I agree with all of your other points. I've cut Praetor's Graph since our conversation. You won me over. But uh, I do agree that it's not as good as people think it is. People treat it like a staple, and I'm not even confident that it's playable. I do agree with your kind of consultation argument, but I'm also somebody that is extraordinarily conservative when it comes to Demonic Consultation. It is a last resort card for me, or there's a Thassa's Oracle on the stack. I'm not one of those that casts it to name at nauseum. I'm not one of those that casts it to grab a counter. Yeah, I don't do that. Things. Whoever does don't... that, uh, does that, Drake? No one, no, right? Like, not for me. It's not my kind of gaming. I no, put that in the trash. That card has a floor. <laughs> if you lose the game, get that out of here. I'm not casting that. I mean, I certainly will, but uh, 
Oh, no, I do it all the time. Drake makes fun of me for it, but I love you it. You die all the time! I just don't all understand. Hey, answering my own question, and you guys are probably going to disagree with me. I talked about this in my video. I think Phantasmal Image is so overrated. I do, too. People actually. are always like, yeah, but you get to copy your opponent's dock sides. Sure, if you're able to untap. I've seen one instance recently where Alex McKinley copied his own dock side after making 10 treasures on the first. And I said to myself, that was really good there, but he already had 10 mana. If he can't mm -hmm. win with 10 mana, he shouldn't be playing whatever deck he's playing. So, uh, I mean, I, I don't run Fimage in any of my blue lists. I think the card's fine, but I do think it's something that people overhype because for me, my dock side doubles are my bounce spells. And those are actually interaction pieces that I can cast at instant speed. I don't need a, a Yeah, I, that's a good point. I like that better as a way to double your dock side than playing Phantasmal Image. I actually keep getting it suggested, and I keep looking at it in my box for my blue farm deck, and I just I just don't see it. Even copying, like, a Krom, that was my big thing. Is if, if you copy a Krom, is that good enough to put the card in your deck? And it's like, well, that's still just really easy to interact with, and I don't know. I don't like it at all. But I agree with you, actually, pretty immensely. I think Phantasmal Image is a, a card that people kind of consider an auto-include, either that or Imposture Mech. And I think both of them are a little below the line for basically any deck I've put together. I'm sure they have homes, but not not for me. Since this is now my podcast and I'm the interviewer. If you could ban, or do you think anything should be banned in CDH? I don't think anything necessarily should be banned right now, but if I were to ban a card, um, it's a card that I love. I think it would be Underworld Breach just because I think it homogenizes the format. And I think if you ban that, then a lot of cool and more unique strategies get opened up. But I don't necessarily think it should be banned. That's more of just, if I had to ban one card, I think it would ban that because I just think so many other decks become playable. If I had to ban one card, it's only one. Yeah, if I had to ban one card, I think I want to go after Krom. The most really? interesting things to me. I think the meta game from CDH right now is really fun and really interactive. And I don't want to touch that. I don't want to ban some huge staple. I really like the gameplay in CDH right now a lot. I like having compact win conditions because I think it allows space for more interaction. So I don't want to go after Thoracle. I don't want to go after Breach because I think it's a nice, succinct way, once again, for you to have a backup win condition that also rebuys, like, you know, your own win conditions. You don't have to play terrible stuff like Eternal Witness, Regrowth, all that kind of stuff. But the most homogenous thing to me, especially with the printing of Jeweled Lotus, is a partner that is card advantage and just like bigger than everything else. I think Krom has made the partner's decks a little too good. They have just like that backup of always having Krom for card advantage. Timna at least requires you to do a little bit of work, whereas Krom is just... You get so much for free in such a small package. Red has gotten really good. Blue's gotten really good. And I want to diversify the commanders and what you're doing with your commanders more than I want to change the way the decks are built and how people are winning the game. Because I don't think a diversity of win conditions makes a better format at all. It's a really okay. interesting answer. And I can't say that I disagree. So today which is Thursday, June 16th, they announced that Dockside Extortionist will be reprinted. Do you think the Dockside naysayers that want it banned will settle down now that it's been reprinted? I think that price had a lot to do with people wanting it banned. Will they reprint, price is likely to drop. What are your expectations for how this plays out? Uh, I think people are still going to complain just as much as before about having it banned. I don't think price really had any impact on that. I think people are just tired of the card and 
what I say to them is mana's fun. I like casting my spells above curve. <laughs> I think you have two camps of people. You have CDH players that probably are complaining about price because you basically have to buy one if you're playing a red deck. The card's messed up. I mean, you can always proxy it. Obviously, they're very proxy friendly or whatever. But people like owning their cards. You like owning your cards, etc. The problem with Dockside is, and what puts it in the sights for a potential banning in the first place, in my opinion, is that it also impacts casual games. There's a lot of casual games that end on the spot when a Dockside hits the table. Where, and obviously that's the case for CDH too. So like this card having such a power impact across both casual and competitive game texture, I think makes it more of a target for the community at large because you have casuals complaining about how everything goes infinite with it. It's really, really good in competitive and it's a million dollars, right? Like that trifecta of things is what puts it in the sights for people to ban. I think on CDH context alone, it's not bannable. I, I think there's way better cards. You can't you can't come to me and say Dockside's too powerful when I'm casting Mana Crypt, Soul Ring, Underworld Breach. You know, this this whole comedy of more powerful Buggy cards. has all of those in every opening hand. It's just not <laughs> Exactly. Look, he wins a lot. Congrats. <laughs> no, like you can't you can't say that, that card's too good when there's just actively far more better cards, more better cards. Jeweled Lotus, I think, is even better than Dockside Extortionist in a CDH context. But when it is expensive and powerful and, you know, obviously a problem in some casual pods, I'm not privy to those pods. I've not played a casual pod where Dockside ended it. But my understanding is that that is the case. Then I think that's why people want it banned. And I would hate to see it get banned, honestly. I think it enables a lot of cool stuff. I think it's really cool to give red so much extra power when blue and black were so far ahead for so long. But I don't want to see it banned. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to take this time to exit myself out. Mikey, Drake, thanks for having me on the miscast. I truly appreciate it. Thank you very much. If you want to plug, you know, you mentioned your your website. You want to do any kind of plugging, feel free. Plug away. This is your opportunity. This is your space. Epicstorm.com and the Epicstorm YouTube channel. Go check those out. Like, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. If you liked hearing my voice and very dry sarcasm, you can go check out the Eternal Glory podcast. It is myself, Brian Cook along with Brian Cobal and Phil Gallagher. We are three YouTube creators that discuss legacy, often some other formats. We talked a little bit about CEDH in this week's episode, so you can go check that out. We're available on all major podcast platforms. Sick. Awesome. Definitely will. I do know you all produce some awesome content. Definitely recommend checking that out. Mikey, people want to find you. People want to talk to you. People maybe want to go play in your event that you put together, this Eminence thing. Where can they do that? Uh, eminence.events is our website we are also on twitter eminence mtg uh if you go to our twitter you can get a link to our discord uh, where we can answer any of your questions or if anything comes up we also have some rooms open there people are interested in practicing before the event at all or mingling we also have a channel for people trying to figure out travel accommodations or people to like splitting hotel rooms so got all that good stuff um and then other than that my secretary hal is uh, at hellenium on twitter is always open uh be sure to bother him and he'll get you in touch with me if it's important enough <laughs> for sure it's actually it's in the philly area bryant how far are you from that is there any way we can get you to to come to the eminence event can we can we do that uh, i can't promise anything right now i will talk to you two after i don't want to say on air but okay. uh th there's a small chance philly's awesome. about four hours away 
cool. Cool. I actually, you know, I just wanted to see because I'm definitely going. I've booked my ticket. I'm booking my hotel probably tomorrow. Um, I don't know. I'd have to actually get around to doing it. But I'm super excited about it. I'm super excited to see everybody there. It'd be totally awesome to hang out and jam some games in person. If you're looking for me, you can find me at viral underscore Drake on Twitter. Um, I also part of playing with power. So if you're part of that discord, I can, you know, I'm in there and you can add me. You're part of playing with power. I am the first time hearing of it. (laughs) I joined recently earlier this year, but I've been a part of playing with power now for a few months. Uh, Awesome. Awesome group of people there putting uh, content together. It's a really, really great opportunity. And you can, of course, reach both Mikey and I at the Miscast MTG on Twitter if you are looking to flame us for any of our horrible opinions about bannings and banning crumbs or whatever else that you want to scream at us about. You can do so there. We will both most likely respond. But no matter what, thank you for listening. Brian, thank you for being such an awesome guest. And we will check you all out next week. 